Hey, so we just got done recording with Jared Dalton and James Gill. They were two of the younger members, or they were two of the like most prevalent members of the Marine Corps action shooting team uh, when it first started. And what I kind of took away was it, it was really interesting to hear the, the grassroots of the action shooting team, how it all came about and how everything was developed and, and kind of compared the perspectives of what it is, what it was then to, to what it is now. Yeah, um, what really struck me is a lot of the things that they dealt with, having to prove relevance to the larger Marine Corps, having to basically take the lessons from competitive shooting and bring them into a combat context. A lot of those same issues that they dealt with, the team is dealing with today. They're just dealing with it, you know, this is the second and third order effects, like the logical progression of those same problems, but same problem nonetheless. Um, different generals, different individuals, different power brokers. So that that's that was what was really interesting. But there was a lot of that was different. The facilities, the way the teams interacted with each other. So I hope a lot of that history comes through in this episode, um, just between what they had to deal with and what the current team members are dealing with. Yeah. So we really hope you enjoyed this and we can't wait to hear about what you think of it. Thank you. Give me a nod when you're ready. Shooter's ready. Stand by. This is Matt Gunlock from the 3GIQ Podcast. I'm joined here with my co-host, Frank Gao, and we have two very special guests, James Gill and Jared Dalton. I'll go ahead and really uh, do a quick introduction to James Gill. I think everybody in the major uh, three-gun and tactical games community already know who he is, like his reputation precedes him. Um, Very affluent, very well-respected one of the most humble individuals I've had the pleasure of knowing and shooting with on the range. Uh, very skilled, you know, one eye, one leg, and it doesn't slow him down whatsoever. He's one of the nicest guys I know, and I'm, it, uh, it's wonderful that I can actually call him friend. Thank you. For, thank you for having me. All right. So, I met Jared Dalton when he checked into Miramar. It was my first duty station. Um, first thing I noticed was the shooting medals on his chest. So he was actually my introduction to the CAP program. Um, Jared, I'll let you, I'll turn it over to you after this, but let me know if I get your career trajectory right. You started off in artillery. You were staff and CO. You became a warrant officer back when they had warrant officers in charge of the ranges. You did that for a little bit, and then they decided to get rid of that MOS. At that time, you had a bachelor's degree and they gave you the choice you could either go into a different warrant officer mos or you could go to tbs and become a second lieutenant and you went to tbs you became a second lieutenant you became a communications officer uh during that time you did some communications officer stuff you served as one of the oic's on the shooting team you went to ews 
you did company command and all, all this stuff at Miramar. And you're actually on the same program that I am right now, the historian program. And we're both going to be teaching at the Naval Academy in the foreseeable future. Do I have that right? Uh, pretty close. Uh, they, they didn't offer me second lieutenant in TBS. Uh, that, that was kind of my recommendation. Uh, and it was actually to be a first lieutenant when the package came back approved. It was approved for second lieutenant <laughs> direct commission, go back to TBS. So, uh, yeah. yeah. What's, what's one more knife in the ribs, right? Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, um, thankful to have you both on. So um, we'll start with this. How did the both of you end up on the shooting team? And James, we'll start with you. All right. So uh, I was actually uh, doing some rehab from some injuries I sustained overseas. And in the course of doing so, I got into um, some competitive shooting. Uh, along the way, I actually ended up meeting a few guys from the Marine Corps combat shooting team, as it was called then, uh, just as the program was getting started. They happened to be shooting a match that I was attending. Um, you know, we had some friendly trash talking going on between Marines, and uh, I ended up torching these guys pretty bad at the match. Um, so we had a few conversations. They figured out that I was still trying to find uh, a home unit to go to after my uh, rehab was over on a patient status. Uh, so, you know, a few Marines pulled some papers to get me out to Quantico long-term. Uh, and I ended up coming over on board as a, an instructor with a combat shooting team, uh, just as it was really in its infancy. I think right before I got my hands on the program, there was four or five people that were involved uh, but all within, you know, six to nine months, I, I believe from the time that the program got started was when I came on board. So that was back in 2009 timeframe. Nice. And then Jared, how'd you get your start in competitive shooting and how'd you end up on the shooting team? Um, so I got my first exposure to, uh, division matches in Okinawa in 2000, uh, as a young corporal, um, didn't break 100 points out of 300 on the pistol for the entire match. Uh, shot very, very badly, uh, but instantly fell in love. Um, and over the course of my own time and, and every opportunity I got, um, I, would, I would seek more range time. Uh, as a warrant officer, uh, got the opportunity to take the MCRD San Diego shooting team uh, and, and shot Western Division matches three years in a row from 2008 to 2010 with the intent of that building my resume. So as a a chief one officer four later on, I could compete for the OIC of the Marine Corps shooting team uh, role. Uh, then, as you mentioned, they, they killed my MOS and told me to seek employment elsewhere. Uh, so as a, as a young commo, uh, still still loved shooting. So I went to Western Division match as a second lieutenant uh, and one rifle. Uh, that was the first time I'd ever outright won. And it was also the last year they, they awarded M1 Grand Trophy rifles. So I got lucky there. Uh, so that kind of put me on the radar for the captains that are out there at teams. And then in 2014, I had the opportunity when my comm time was done for, for my, my B billet to go, uh, to, go to Quantico uh, and be one of the OICs on the team. Uh, plan was to go there and retire, that didn't happen. So I just did my three years there uh, and had the opportunity to, to, to shoot with teams uh, for those three years. What role did you fill while, um, what team did you serve with while you were with the shooting team? Was that the combat shooting team then? 
I was initially the OIC of the Marine Corps pistol team and the Marine Corps combat shooting team. I kind of worked out of the combat shooting team office because we had more work to do there. We were trying to set up uh, the first uh, iterations of, of division matches in an action style. Um, and, and that was the discipline I wasn't as comfortable with. So I felt comfortable with pistol and kind of let them do their thing and, and checked in on them, but kind of put my office and lived down uh, on the sat range with, with the Marines of, of the combat shooting team so I could learn that better. So um, I guess we'll start with James. Uh, can you describe how the shooting what team was in terms of the following aspects, like your schedule, budget, facilities, um, like down, like the like Jared mentioned. You know, the office was down by Sat Bay, where it's nowadays. It's up at the main team office, and then what the command structure was like. Yeah, so when I got to the, the program, um, it was uh, Gunnar Musselman was, had, had reins of the program. Uh, it was him, and then I had uh, Sergeant Jimmy White and uh, two other guys. Basically, what the, the program, as I got my hands on it, there was two or three instructors from different programs. So we had guys from the old uh, high-risk personnel program. We had one shooter off of... I guess he had done some time with the rifle teams. Uh, somebody had come over from MPMS. And um, all, so the, all of the cadre that were there were already senior instructors in other programs. They were just getting together and just starting to formulate what the program was going to be as far as uh, research and training for the Marine Corps. Um, so when I got there, I had no direction as far as what the actual mission statement of the program was, what we were going to do. It was just, Hey, we're looking to go shoot matches to develop training for the Marine Corps. Um, really at this point, we're going to throw anything at the wall and whatever sticks we're going to run with. Um, so we had a kind of a crazy time and I'll tell you, uh, Gunnar Musselman, uh, you know, he pulled some strings one to get me to the program long-term, which is nice. Um, and, uh, I mean, I probably saw him 10 minutes at a time and it was, uh, here's the program, go make great things happen. So it was, uh, pretty nice. We, you know, working for a gunner was, was extremely pleasurable. It was, you know, wasn't like being back in the fleet, having to deal with, uh, you know, squad leader, platoon sergeants, um, you know, seven different people to get the word done. It was basically the gunner and then the CEO of weapons training battalion. So pretty easy going for us budget wise oh. i don't think we had a budget um and that was probably a, a good thing at the time because uh, we were able to do a few things that we wouldn't have been able to later on down the road so we actually were able to secure funding is kind of how that worked for us jared uh yeah so when i when i first Kind of got into teams it was the, the very standard bullseye rifle pistol team pretty clear-cut command structure to the team's oic to the co of weapons training battalion uh when i got involved in 2014 uh and and had to learn the, the, this combat shooting team concept it was pretty obvious based on the office space and some of the relationships uh the, the, it was it was not a very happy family initially rifle pistol wanted to stay rifle pistol they didn't understand what we were trying to do with the combat team and why that was necessary. Um, and so it was definitely a lot of uh, massaging to, to make sure everyone got along and played nicely together. 
um, for for the size, uh, it was definitely the smallest of the three teams as well. Um, so that that took me a little while getting used to how to juggle this and how to how to make sure that we're taking full advantage of the training opportunities by sending the guys to the right matches, uh, so we can get the maximum return uh, because the budget was very limited. Uh, even yeah, it wasn't non-existent when I was there, but it was it was limited for for CST. Um, and then for me, being the OIC, the command structure was very, very clear. I had a staff and CO uh, that, that I tried to talk to and let him do most of the, the training and, and run the ranges. And um, I, I was focused more towards the, the flagpole and making sure I was meeting the, the colonel's intent uh, and, get, and keeping the team in the direction that the colonel thought we needed to be uh, to, to actually bring this to bear and, and bear fruit for the Marine Corps. Uh, and, and have functional trainers that were that were useful. Um, so, like uh, like James said, pretty pretty small, concise uh, chain of command. Uh, not a whole lot of room for for maneuver. Yeah, like I I gotta say when I I got to the team in 2018, I would say it was still very much the same. Where the rifle team, the the pistol team, and the action shooting team, everybody. I don't want to say they hated each other, but it was kind of like clashing. It was like a battle, like we're the ones that matter. You don't matter. You're just freaking putting a jacket on and shooting freaking like, fuck you guys. Like we're actually going out there and competing in something that 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 matters. And like that was kind of that was kind of the environment that it was at the time. Um, and I have to say, like going into that from, you know, it was like, what did I just get myself into? Why am I here? And it's like, how can I most, how can I most effectively employ these guys? Like, I I went to the team to be a part of the action shooting team, and then I, you know, the pistol team was lacking a staff in I see. So I took that role. And whenever they're like, oh yeah, we shoot bullseye pistol, I'm like, what the hell is bullseye pistol? Uh, and then I went out to Bianchi Cup as well, and it was just like, what are we doing? But it was like, okay, how can I get everybody on the same page? And it, it kind of turned into, turned into, you know, let's create events where everybody can kind of do do something together, and let's let's keep the peace here. And I mean, essentially, eventually, it worked out. Like there wasn't the battle between the teams anymore. Well, and, and some of the work that we were trying to do, at least I know it was something I was cognizant of, was having the conversations with the other OICs and, and really trying to trying to make that relationship solid so that there wasn't you know fr friction or divisiveness from the leadership down. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and so making sure we were we weren't referring to them by the individual team. It was it was teams. We always tried to make ourselves a collective uh, and try to get that up there, but. No one from CST wanted to go to the <laughs> wanted to go to the main office building and rifle and pistol didn't want them to move in there. So when I heard that that had actually happened after I left, I figured that had to be nothing but a positive because now that now you're gonna have to figure it out because now you live together. <laughs> yeah, we were trying to get get that office back. <laughs> we were trying to. <laughs> then they gave it away. So. Yeah, I showed up one summer and the Navy reserve team was there. I was like, what are you guys doing in my office? Like, oh, this is, this is our storage room. Oh, thanks. Yeah. That's hilarious. Um, Jared. Um, so 
you you told me about this when I first met you in San Diego that you were starting this initiative and you constantly told your guys like we have to demonstrate some kind of value to the fleet in terms of marksmanship and combat readiness. Um, did you ever see any, did the fleet ever, did, did you ever see any of that land? Like, were there any measures of effectiveness that you saw during your time there? Like eyes light up, that kind of thing? So there were, uh, I mean, like I mentioned earlier, the, the James and the crew had already set the groundwork for, hey, let's start, let's, let's do an equivalent division matches for action shooting. And so we did get to see those, those first couple matches come to fruition and actually be conducted and then quickly realized that we weren't making our lives any easier by having competing division matches. So basically doubling the number of match sites in a year. So then the working them into one match, which ultimately occurred finally, right as I, I walked out the door, but that had to be positive. But when, when you were there on the range, every single day for every match site I went to, whether it was action or bullseye specific, there was never a day where I didn't have an aha moment with at least one of the shooters. Um, and that was what I always tried to demonstrate myself and like be an active teacher. And that's what I always tried to tell any instructors I had assigned to me, this is the primary mission. The primary mission isn't how well I do at nationals or any other match. The, the primary mission is how well do I translate my experience and my, my abilities into teaching the Marines to make Marines more successful in battle. Uh, because that's the only reason teams should exist. It's to make Marines better. And it's still very much the same. Uh, I'd say the team today as a construct is very much focused on bringing those lessons to the fleet and all the competitions they go to. If they win, it's great, but it's not the point. It's to bring those lessons back. Um, get stronger as a shooter and then bring that back as an instructor. Um, Matt touched upon this before we went live, but um, the shooting team. How permanent of a construct was it? Were there threats to its existence at its time? And what were some of the initiatives that you guys took in order to keep, in order to sell that value to the fleet and the larger Marine Corps in order to keep it alive? James, we'll start with you. Um, yeah, so I, I realized once I checked into Quantico um, that the program that I was jumping into was not established. Um, you know, I was trying to figure out Hey, what's our next event? Are we doing training? Are we um, just going to matches? What, what are we looking at here? Um, and as, as soon as we started getting gears running towards our team specifically, you know, set out a calendar year of wanting to go to, let's say, four major matches, four three gun matches, what we we're trying to attend. Um, and then backtracking off of that, developing a training curriculum up to that. And with some of those events being, a week turnaround from event to event and saying, Hey, how can we take a shooter with uh, zero experience outside of wrinkle rifle range, KD range, uh, and take them to this action scenario where they're ready to shoot. Uh, and so that's, you know, working hand in hand with MPMS of how to fast track training. Um, I realized very quickly that um, I was not just going to get to shoot matches all day and hold up a bunch of trophies that I was actually going to be one training people, but two, more importantly than me training people was selling the idea to the bigger Marine Corps that, um, the training that we had was really stale. Um, there was no progression at that point from basically Vietnam era tactics, um, 
And along the way, as I start running into people, I, you know, I was very well received within the battalion and within the shooting community itself uh, for various reasons. But um, I don't personally have any issue getting along with any of the teams of past, present or future. But um, I did see that some of the people that I was interacting with were merely looking at our program and saying, how can we absorb this team for its cool factor? You know, there, I had people that want to come to my program just because it was a, either a nice twilight tour, they got to shoot. It was a, a break from deployments or something of that nature or funding. We had um, availability to x-ray dodex and we got to do stuff that the typical Marine did not get to do. Um, and so I, I spent a lot of time shielding our program from, either um, unwanted activities or I'm not going to call them working parties, but basically working parties for the Marine Corps where, oh, we have um, some general so-and-so. Yeah. General so-and-so showing up with 65 school counselors, you know, and these middle-aged women want to see young Marines shoot handguns. Uh, you know, it's like, okay, well, I don't know what this is doing for training Marines, but um, okay. I'll, I'll come spend an hour or two on the range to, to keep you happy so that I can continue to actually train Marines. Um, so, you know, now I know it progressed a little bit further and thankfully, like I said, when I got there, I had a gunner who kept most of that off my back. Um, and then down the road, uh, I just learned how to, you know, almost steer sacrificial people in the way of like, Hey, we're going to have this person. I mean, I had a couple of key personnel over the years that would step in and help do certain things for the program. And it wasn't involved actually being an instructor. Um, so that was kind of nice, but. Yeah. Appreciate, uh, appreciate the insight. Jared, over to you. Uh, yeah. So the construct, I mean, the construct of rifle pistol was never in doubt, uh, at least while I was there. Um, that, that they were established, their schedules were solid. They, they all revolved around nationals and, and backdating from nationals to the summer augments to Marine Corps championships to the division matches uh, and then reset, you know, and, and do it all over again next year. Uh, as, as James brilliantly highlighted, like CST just didn't have that established battle rhythm yet. Um, and so finding that battle rhythm and, and making that an accepted part of teams was definitely a challenge. Um, but I never felt like anyone outside of teams ever wanted CST to go away. The Colonel understood the value and big Marine Corps understood the value. Now we absolutely had to come through with some, some value uh, in training and, and start making measurable, uh, as you said, gains and, and you know, metrics that are effective of like, hey, how are we improving the Marine Corps? Um, but the biggest initiatives I saw um, really were some of those working party type kind of events. Uh, you know, the, this commanding general of, you know, training command and all the subsequent commanders come down. We put them through the SAT range and all the eyes would light up like, okay, I, I, now I understand what these words on the paper that you're saying in the MAR admin, now we understand why this is value added if we make our Marines available to go compete. And that was always the challenge, was getting commanders to let the Marines be available for the opportunity. Because um, that's all, 
to be successful in competitive shooting, you just need the opportunity. Skill comes, but if you never have the opportunity, you're never going to be successful. Uh, and, and so it was making the, the instructors buy in that our primary mission is making Marines better and then selling that to you know, the colonels and generals to make sure that they understood the opportunity we were, they were giving their Marines by, by allowing them to come compete. Um, and that was the bigger battle than actually fighting to, to, to retain you know, teams as, as, a, as an entity. Um, so that was kind of how I saw the, the construct and, and the fears I saw or, or felt while I was there. So talking about the construct of the team, you know, the traditional rifle pistol and then having the combat shooting team, now action shooting team. Back then when both of you were there uh, during your time, how many members of the team were there back during your your guys' times? And then how was recruitment handled? And then what competencies and character traits were valued in, uh, for potential team members? James? Uh, so when I got to the team, we had three members. Uh, I was became the fourth. And then basically as I checked in, the first guy was already leaving. Uh, he was, you know, short, short list for EAS at that time anyway. But um, pretty much as soon as I got to the program, I started asking, you know, how can I bring more guys into this? You know, I have guys all across the fleet that are, you know, getting ready to change station. Uh, you know, people have been asking me about, hey, what am I doing now? So figured out that, hey, recruiting was actually an option for us, but then seeing our limited boat space, I think um, because we were the, um, oh, what was the code, 095 or UAN, UAN. Special, special, special duty assignment, we had limited slots. Um, and so, you know, fortunately we had uh, a combination of teams probably um, you know, the rifle team, let's say, might have had somebody that they were trying to bring back to the program or somebody that they had dealt with initially. I think that's how you and I first started talking is, um, you know, somebody was talking about a, a slot to come to the team, um, and we didn't know how to recruit directly to our program yet. So it was, hey, rifle team wants to bring somebody on. Um, now he's our new staff in CI, uh, you know, he's our new platoon sergeant, basically. I'm sorry. And, um, you know, okay, we'll, we'll take the extra space. So I, I think we were allotted eight man on CST proper to include um, the officer positions. Um, and I don't know what it was structured for later. I know we were trying to get, I, I think I had set up a, a 16 man team is what, what we had looked at. I don't know what they finalized after I left, but. I think, uh, well, shoot, we only have like three or four permanent guys on the team now. And that's generally kind of what we've, we've been rolling for since. And now for the summer program, we typically only take two guys for uh, to train up during the summer, which makes recruitment hard because like if those guys were on the fence about getting out, uh, you know, yeah. ho hopefully like they're able to stay in. Um and I know the two guys we had this summer, they're like, both of them were kind of on the fence and they're like, we want to come here. This is what we want to do. Uh, so hopefully they're actually able and it's always having to work with monitors and 
like going through headquarters Marine Corps, like politicking. Yeah, I mean, talking talking to the uh, career monitor and trying to pull guys' packages was extremely frustrating for us. Where you know we had such a short window to pull guys from the fleet where they were eligible to come to us before they got pulled up somewhere else. Um, and so, you know, I was fortunate to get actually a, a good buddy of mine out of the program within a few months of myself being there. He just happened to be eligible for orders and, um, you know, it actually ended up working well. Those high, he ended up coming to the program and then later went over to foreign weapons as a senior instructor there, um, did big things in both programs. Um, and so, you know, I know we had several people come to the team. You know, I, I think uh, Gunny Farmer was one of them where I had never spoke to him, never saw a recruiting package on him. He showed up and was uh, like, hey, I, I guess I'm here now. Uh, you know, they, they told me I'm with you guys. And uh, it's like, OK, well, welcome aboard. You know, I'm not turning you away. I think in all the years I was there, we only had one person who uh, that I recall that was there. I think he was waiting uh, waiting for a class seat to a flight program or something. But um, only one guy that I felt that we had to babysit. But um, I always felt that we were basically taking any, anybody that we could and then trying to hold on to them unless they either dropped paperwork to, to get out or, you know, got, got themselves kicked out kind of thing. But How about you, Jared? What was it like whenever you were there? Oh yeah, it, it was grossly undermanned. So I, after Gil left, I got a few few extra bodies, but I don't think, including myself, I ever had more than six or seven total on on the combat shooting team. Um, and then teams wide, I don't think we ever had more than eighteen to twenty four uh, permanent personnel across all three teams combined. Um, we really did live and die by the summer augments, but uh, because we pick up that tab so that we can keep them for the summer and the unit, their home unit's not paying for it. Uh, you know, that's, that's a significant budget constraint. Uh, so like you said, you know, two or three, maybe for CST five or seven for rifle, kind of whatever they need to be competitive at, at, at nationals and then three or four for pistol. And that's, that's pretty much your entire summer augment list. Um, so yeah, it, it was never as large as I, as I wanted it to be. Uh, and never as big as I thought it was when I was younger. Uh, definitely not like the heydays of the 70s and 80s where you had 40, 50, 70 man teams. Um, and then your question on recruitment, the, the biggest thing that jumps out at me is because we're so, we were so limited, uh, it really wasn't always your, the skill you're bringing to the team. It's, it's much more just the character traits. It's who are you? Like, how are you making us a better team? And, it, and scores typically wasn't what made us a better team. It's you being a good dude, good teammate. Like, can I rely on you? Do you have a work ethic? Uh, like James said, am, am I babysitting you? Um, you know, those were the huge things. Skill can be taught. I can't teach you to, to be a good dude. Like you are, you're not. Uh, and that really can destroy a team quickly if you just have that inner strike. Um, so, so for recruitment, that was the biggest thing I looked at and really – wanted to make sure we, we were confident with before we offered a, you know, a summer seat or, uh, you know, PCS orders. Um, and you both mentioned the monitor. The other huge, huge, uh, fight with the monitors was because it's special duty. Once the Marine, once the Marine got blessed off for special duty, he could go anywhere. 
Yeah, they're like, hey, we need we need drill instructors, we need recruiters, we need MSG. So you're not going to teams, you're going somewhere else. And so you'd have kids that you actively recruited and got the package done, and then they'd get, you know, the monitor would kick them to a different SDA. And so I that's all I, I think with monitors, uh, it's I got really blessed with having a good monitor to support the team. Um, like we were, we would go out to lunch together, talk, hang out. Like he would call me and be like, Hey dude, what do you need? I was like, nothing right now. But now that you mention it and he'd be like, Hey, you know, I was like, but he, he was always the type of guy that was like, I feel like I've been neglecting you. What can I do for you? And so then I'd always have a list ready and be like, Hey, I got this guy. I have this guy. I have this guy. They just submitted their packages. Here's their information. And he'd be like, yep. Pulled them up. All right, I'm gonna go talk to their monitors that way. I was like, you need me to do anything? He's like, nope. I have I have a everyday relationship with their monitors, so I can pull strings to get people over to you. And like, he's pulled packages where guys were histed for recruiting duty, and it was like, like he got them to the team. He's like, this is working because he recognized like we are trying to do something special on this team, and we want certain people. So he he was fighting to get us people, which made it great. Yeah, I don't know if James uh, saw it uh, at CST, but I know uh, right as I was leaving, there were a couple times where shooters from rifle or pistol were being histed from teams to go yep. to recruiting. You're like, We've had that. Why are you histing them? Yep. Yeah, I think uh, Byron England was one where yep. he had checked in, uh, had his B-billet knocked out working at Damnick. You know, it was like three years unaccompanied there, just got to the unit and they're like, Hey, you're going recruiting. It's like, Hey, we got to like, I just got this guy on station. He already has a B bill knocked out. Um, and thankfully the monitor helped us, you know, he saved us on that one. I, I got a quick question for you, Jared. Did you, I know you, I don't think you shot it, but did you show up to the 2016 FNH uh, three gun championship? I did not. Uh, not even and, briefly I thought I saw you for some reason or somebody that looked like you it no, might have been it might have been Cunningham uh, yeah it would have been would have been Billy um, yeah because 2016 uh, my last match was Eastern Division matches uh, Armosk and ASAM um, and then then I cut out of there in, uh, in, in 2017 okay yeah, I know. I know James is there because we were on the same squad. I have a very interesting story <laughs> about day two of that match with James. <laughs> we won't go into that though. Yeah, all good. Well, I'm intrigued, but um, we'll press on. So you all talked about relationships, like relationships with the monitor, how that made or break uh, recruiting. What were some other key relationships? And that can be either in the fleet, headquarters, Marine Corps, um, the SOIs, the weapon training battalions, and also like the gun industry that really helped you guys when you're on the team. James, start with you. Okay. Yeah. I mean, so like I said, when I, when I got the program and it being this x-ray program at the time, uh, I can tell you that you know, I've, I've talked to various team members over the years and stuff that I did for a period of time there is absolutely a no-go now. Um, and there, there's good reason for that, but nothing was uh, unethical or illegal. But, um, you know, 
at one point in time, the Marine Corps and the military in general led the way with shooting innovation. Um, I don't know if it was because of our activity in two foreign wars or what, what the case was, or just kind of laziness on the part of the military as far as developing, but that changed and civilian market took over. Um, not, for example, when I was injured and I started going to my local pistol club, just shooting rounds and rec, rec fire, got into a club there and I was getting beat by 12 year old girls uh, with shooting. I was like, this is not right. I've been through multiple shooting packages with the Marine Corps. I've been overseas twice uh, in combat zones. What am I doing wrong? And it's not that I was doing anything wrong. I was just taught the same ancient technology or uh, shooting tradition or whatever you want to call it. Um, so when I got involved with the program, the first thing that we did was we said, we are absolutely going to leech and latch on to the civilian market anywhere that we can. Any training program, any shooting match, um, we're going to go jump in there and see what they're doing and be able to take information from that. We're going to talk with anybody we can in industry that, you know, we're not under uh, any sort of contract with as far as weapons purchases or anything. Some of that was kind of there, but um you know, we had a, a huge ability to call people within the industry, one, because our budget didn't exist. So we'd call people and say, hey, can we try out some gear? Um, can we borrow some equipment? Can we, um, you tell us what's the latest and greatest, what we need to be looking at, what we need to be playing with. And so having these friendships in the industry, um, and, and most of it were, were companies that weren't trying to sell anything to the Marine Corps at all. They were just other shooters that said, Hey, we want you guys to come uh, see what we're doing. And like, absolutely. If you guys are developing training for the Marine Corps, we want you to see what we're doing. Um, and I'll tell you right now, if you show up to any match across the country and you say, Hey, I didn't bring something. There's going to be 10 people that try and hand you that. So the, the, the mentality within the shooting community is very helpful and resourceful when it's within itself. Um, so, you know, latching onto that, uh, we're able to friend, find some friendly partnerships with, you know, people that have been in the industry for years and years and years and did a lot of the work that we didn't have time and resources to do. Um, instead of us actually going out and having to do, uh, you know, uh, live fire testing to see what barrel was the greatest, we would just ask the market and the market would tell us this is what people are using for this reason. Obviously, we did some follow up research on that, uh, but it kind of saved us a lot of time and money. Um, now, I, it, within the Marine Corps itself, um, the resources within the team was extremely huge. You know, coming from um, the action program, you know, guys are always saying each discipline is different. I can tell you, you know, I spent a bunch of time with the rifle team, you know, out there in, in the middle of random courses of fire, just jumping into training with those guys or bullseye pistol um, working with any of the unit or any of the team, the other teams that were there. Um, I didn't have any issue going to somebody and saying, Hey, we don't know what we're doing with this. Can you please help adjust us? And, and vice versa that went around. Um, and that's how I ran into, you know, I don't know if you know this, but the Marine Corps used to have a world-class shotgun team 
and we actually have some pretty nice shotgun facilities. And there's a few guys out in the network there that have years and years of some phenomenal trap and skeet shooting. Um, and I was able to pick some of those guys' brains to help our program. It's a little different for action shotgun, but um, the skill was still there. So um, I wasn't, I didn't have a single line of resources that I had to follow. I was able to really go wherever the market took me, which was very, very helpful. Well, thank, thank you for that insight, Jared. Yeah, no, relationships are huge. Uh, and honestly, um, when it came to industry, uh, I really relied on, on the Marines uh, because when I got there, whether it was pistol or combat, um, I was amazed at how many, how many people, you know, the, the sergeants and staff sergeants knew um, whether they were individual shooters, small business owners, uh, or, you know, major manufacturers, uh, and they would just have a contact and, and they could, they'd call and ask those questions so that when I was getting information or when I was getting quizzed by the colonel, you know, I'd get the info, take it back to the boss and be like, hey, sir, this is, this is the right answer. This is the direction we need to go. This is the equipment we need. This is, this is what we want to, uh, this is how we get better. And this is how we show return on investment. Um, and so for, for industry, I relied heavily on the Marines. Uh, for me personally, because I've got a stupid, weird career path, um, I knew a lot of the, the, the gunners and mass arts and you know, Marines across the, the corn. So that was very useful for me when I was doing uh, you know, cold calls or organizing uh, matches and, and making sure the match site was actually ready to receive us and that we were actually gonna get what we, we planned to get and the match was gonna go right. Um, so it's huge to know all those people. Uh, and, and if you don't, like James was saying, that if they have any connection to the shooting community, inherently they're, they're incredibly helpful. Um, when you have you know, members you know, of the Marine Corps that either don't like combat shooting or they, they think teams as a whole is kind of um, you know, a waste. Money pit. Um, yeah. Then, Expensive then, luxury. Yeah. Then sometimes they're not as quick to be as user friendly and it's a little bit of a battle, but that was, that was my job is to then fight through that, make them, make them happy uh, and, and make sure that we were ready to execute. Um, but yeah, relationships absolutely make or break uh, just like your reputation does. It's amazing how many times people would just randomly change their, uh, their tone. Once you introduced, I'm a member of the Marine Corps shooting team or I'm, you know, and, and you, you lend that hundred year reputation uh, and just the Marine Corps reputation writ large. Uh, and magically now they're like, oh, absolutely. We want to, we want to help you and make, make sure that you're happy and good. Uh, and th they did it for a litany of reasons, but I was always surprised at, at how, how much weight that reputation carried to establish relationships if you didn't have one already. You know, uh, you know, speaking as one of the latest members who's just left, um, it, it was kind of the same for me. Like I built and developed a lot of those relationships as I gained time on that team. And a lot of the relationships were really built in that first year on the team. And like, especially like doing research for USPSA, it's like, okay, what is most people using? Okay. Most people are using the CZ shadow Two. All right, cool. Uh, I called CZ up and be like, hey, this is who I am. Um, I'm trying to, I can't purchase anything right now, but I want to do a bailment contract. 
And here are the stipulations of that bailment contract. You send us the guns at, on, at your cost. We use them for a year and then we send them back to you. And it's at no cost to the Marine Corps. You can't use it to publicize that the Marine Corps shooting team is uh, is shooting your guns. Nothing like that. And it was it was a really lengthy, long contract. And they sent us eight guns. And it was whenever we first started our trials of let's start a USPSA team from, hey, after pistol team is done shooting uh, nationals, we're going to transition into USPSA. Well, then it became a more formalized team and we kept using those guns. Well, that year came up and it was like, hey, you know, six months after the bailment started, I was like, we need to buy these guns. Like they did their due diligence of sending us guns for free. But now we need to start the process to buy the guns. So I got a quote from CZ. I did the market research. I did, you know, all the the background uh, work to the purchase requests, all that kind of stuff. Went to classes like, how do I do this? I'm going to 369. I don't know this stuff. So I went to class for it, you know, um, and then I brought it to the supply officer. And he's like, I don't know how to purchase FFL items. I was like, well, let's figure it out. <laughs> and so like we went through the whole thing and then it, it got up to systems command and systems command was like, no, we're not purchasing this. This is a non-program of record weapon. Well, then General Smith happened to be on the range one day. You know, he was uh, he was the the CG of McSiddick at the time. Marie, uh, for those who don't know, the Marine Corps Combat Development Center. And now he's the assistant commandant of the Marine Corps. And he was like, he, we let him shoot it. We like gave him personalized instruction and all that kind of stuff. And he was like, these are awesome. Well, sir, we're currently trying to buy them, but system systems command isn't letting us. He's like, hold that thought. Don't worry. I'll take care of it. He, he emailed a handwritten letter, you know, a, a letter explaining things. And then it was at the bottom. He's like, this is for a very specific team. This is a low cost item. Make it happen. And signed his name. And sent it to the systems command. We had those guns like two months later. And, and it was a matter of working with industry and then working with higher chain of command, no matter what rank they were. Honestly, surprised they didn't try and make you uh, order them out of Brown Owl's catalog or have the 12 <laughs> build them themselves or something. <laughs> but it worked out. And now we have some sweet shadow twos. But uh, all right, so I got to ask, uh, what surprises you two the most about the way the Marine Corps shooting team has developed in its current date iteration, you know, from scheduling to budget, proficiency and facilities? Uh, James, we'll start with you. Uh, to be honest, I mean, other than talking with you guys uh, occasionally, I have no idea where the budget is. Uh, not not in the slight, slightest bit interested either, but. Uh, I'm, I'm really excited to see that one, the program is still alive. Uh, I, I thought it would have kind of gotten absorbed somewhere over the years. Um, I know we've had a couple Marines over the years that have really taken onto that program. Uh, um, and it's not surprising that the feedback from the program, as far as how desirable, you know, everybody wants training, everybody wants to come shoot. They, they need the, the resources from the team. So um, I'm, I'm excited to see that the program is still alive and kicking. I, you know, every time I hop on my phone, I'm seeing pictures from the teams somewhere out there. 
and guys that have cycled through that program one way or another, either they're uh, still shooting with the Marine Corps or they're on to bigger and better programs elsewhere. You know, I've had some guys retire, uh, quite a few guys retire, but every, everybody else seems to be kind of still tied to the shooting community, which is exactly what it is. Um, so that's most exciting for me. Jared? Yeah, my, my biggest surprise, uh, very like uh, similar to James, I, I, I haven't stayed in really close contact with teams at, uh, since leaving. Um, I went down there a couple of weeks ago uh, when, I, when I got back in the area and just saw the new staff in COIC for about 20 minutes. Uh, and I was, I was quite surprised that they had completely abandoned uh, all bullseye shooting last year and that now they were trying to work some of that back into the schedule. Um, I was never, never anti-combat shooting team, but I, I always felt uh, and, and still, still have pretty strong opinions about the value of, of balancing, uh, you know, balancing where, where your training is. We don't need Napoleonic ready on the right, ready on the left, already on the firing line for, for musket commands any longer. Like, that's not the, those aren't the commands we need on a, on a 21st century rifle range. Um, however, fundamental marksmanship is called fundamental for a reason. It gives that foundation. If you understand the foundation, you can, you can do the sexy stuff and actually hit fast and hit accurate. Uh, rather than miss fast. Um, and so where, where is that balance? And that's where I think teams really has the opportunity now, if they're going to work bullseye back in, they have to answer this question. What is the balance? How much of a you know, fundamental foundation do you need to be truly successful in, in a more dynamic action style of shooting? Um, I don't know that answer, but I, I, think, I think you need to marry them and find that balance. Um, and so as teams goes through this process, I really hope that they find that uh, because then that, that's only going to better inform, you know, any, any more changes or updates to, you know, rifle and pistol fall for the Marine Corps um, and actually make Marines across the Corps more competent, battle-ready marksmen. You know, every Marine or rifleman isn't just a bumper sticker. That's, that's the functional purpose of the Marine Corps. So I really hope teams finds out that balance and is able to, to really streamline a useful competitive cycle that, that pays off in the, you know, in the Marine Corps marksmanship competitions uh, that they're running now. I don't, I don't know the new names. I know they don't call them division matches anymore, but I'm not familiar with the new names. Marine Corps marksmanship competitions. Oh, okay. Or make mix for short. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that was my introduction to, uh, I guess, whatever the division match back for you guys is now the make mix um, more or less the same format, more or less the same like priorities getting out there, seeing who's like, who's doing well, recruiting some summer shooters, but also teaching Marines in the fleet. Uh, it kind of occurs to me, listen to both of you guys talk that I have a lot to be thankful for, for what you both like contributed to the team. Um, what you guys started with, with the combat shooting team has now become like the action pistol team, the three gun team, and I would say that the skill level of the guys that are on the team, like right now, the USPSA team has two grandmasters, two masters. Like they're recruiting people at those levels. Like guys are already out there in the fleet hitting the master GM level. And they're like, hey, we got to go pull that guy in. Let's get him in here. Um, the first time I shot a Mick it was entirely, I mean, there was a little bit of like PRS flavor to it. Um, but the rest of it was all action stages. 
And the first championship that I attended that Matt and uh, Chris Scott ran was, it was all action and it was all like gas gun and it was super fun and exciting. Um, so as someone who's like getting ready to like go to nationals as a USPSA shooter, um, I think you guys did a lot to push the program forward. And a lot of the hard work that you guys put in has really persisted over time and is doing a lot of good for the fleet, honestly. So quick thank you to you both. But it leads me into my next question. What do you think still needs to be done to relay some of the lessons for practical shooting into Marine Corps weapons culture? Um, as you both know, like we we suffer from a lot of institutional, like bureaucratic, just slowness, right? Um, you guys probably dealt with a lot of obstacles and counter arguments to what you were trying to introduce through the combat shooting team. Uh, some of those probably persist today, but what are your thoughts? James, we'll start with you. Yeah, so this was a, a pretty common issue that I dealt with throughout the years. Um, you know, I had a few team members that would kind of get into their own head about why they were on the program or what was going on or you know, something would happen internally within the team where guys would fight about the direction of what they're doing. We don't want to do this or we want to do this. Uh, and I was constantly reminding the guys on the team at every level that we're here in this training environment, in this stateside environment, researching and, and developing this training for people that are ultimately going to go overseas and need this at some point. Um, and that was the biggest part of it. Um, I'm not developing a training program or doing anything based on my personal beliefs of what makes me happy at the moment. I'm trying to develop a product that is going to be most beneficial to the guys going downrange at any level. Um, and trying to sell the Marine Corps on, uh, oh, we get to go compete with civilians and we're going to win some trophies in the civilian world. Uh, that was none of it. Um, you know, so trying to show each of those Marines what they're doing and not, Hey, this is fun, but this is a life-saving skill. Or this is a tool that you're going to have, whatever you're doing. Uh, and it's not even just the shooting portion of it. Actually, it's a lot of the overall mental management. Um, so I think stressing to everyone involved, the end user and uh, the, the guys signing the checks or whoever it is like, um, just keep keep stressing to those guys that this is useful resources for you know the modern warfighter not not just a, a fun game that we play thank you for that jared yeah I, I think the if you want to call it the silver lining or the benefit of oif and oef was really waking up the marine corps from the napoleonic era that dominated uh, marksmanship in the Marine Corps uh, all through the 50s, 60s, 70s, and 80s. Um, we damaged our own our own growth by by doing exactly what James said was not the function of teams. You know, when when rifle and pistol cared more about whether or not they they were national champions than what they were offering the fleet. That's where we we really lost our way in competitive shooting. And it took going to OIF and OEF to kind of wake us back up from that and remind us, hey, the function of teams is, is train the warfighter. Um, and so I think we, we still have work to do. Um, 
I, I still consider myself a bullseye fundamental guy. That's, that's, I, I enjoy shooting that. Um, but I don't think that's the training end all be all for the Marine Corps. And I think, like I said earlier, the balance of, of how do we develop this is huge. Culturally, we need to, we need to really kind of get the old core mentality, time to retire or accept that that's no longer the right train of thought uh, to include some of the civilian Marines that we have that work uh, and, and get them on board uh, because you have so many civilians that, that hold positions through McCidic, CISCOM, uh, you know, Weapons Training Battalion, and, and they can be a huge roadblock if they don't buy off on it. If, if they're a former you know, 1980s teams guy who's double distinguished and swears at nationals is the only way to go, then they can do a lot of damage behind the scenes to worthwhile efforts that we're trying to do. And so it's really getting the entire Marine Corps family on board. Uh, and that's only done through exactly what we're doing right now is getting the word out, getting teams exposure and, and teams figuring out what that balance is. So everyone sees the value and the warfighter benefits and everyone else can, can stop thinking about themselves. And remember, it's about battlefield success. That's awesome. That was great. <laughs> I, I got I got nothing. That was awesome. <laughs> but you're absolutely right. I do have a question for James specifically. Uh, so I attribute this to my introduction into the competitive shooting sports. It was back in 2013 when you were on Three Gun Nation. Um and you were you went through the finale. You you know I saw you on the episode where you were competing down in St. Augustine. Um, what was that experience like? Obviously, you had a big part of my life in coming into Three Gun. Um, but what was the support like that you had back then? Um, what kind of ammo were you shooting? And I ask this specifically because now we have ammo that's contracted out to like Atlanta Arms, for instance. You know, we're still using the the Dodic uh, uh, 77 grain Sierra Match Kings and, and the shotgun, but pistol ammo, we were still using Dodic ammo. You were still using Dodic ammo, whereas we're not. Like, what was that whole experience like? And, and what were some lessons learned from that experience? Um. Yeah. So, so to be pretty blunt with you, as far as, you know, the level of support that I got from that, um, or I'll tell you from the Marine Corps, I had to take leave to go shoot that event. Um, any of the events that I did with, with the pro series as a professional shooter, I had to take personal leave for. Uh, wow. And then later on down the road, they started giving me permissive TAD, um, non-funded. And so, um, that was a little frustrating because, you know, obviously I was wearing a team jersey. Um, I was definitely uh, advertising and representing the Marine Corps, uh, I think, in a pretty good light. Uh, no, so the, uh, the, the gear that I used, you know, when I started competitive shooting, um, again, putting together a ragtag bit of gear, you know, the, the local community kind of gets together and supports and sees that this is something that I was actively involved with. I did re receive um, some sponsorship support early on in my shooting stuff. Now, when I got to the Marine team, uh, all of those endorsements had to go away. Uh, I was shooting uh, ball nine mil, uh, so like a one, 
151 or I, I think it like chronoed out like a 151 power factor if I remember correctly. Uh, so not soft at all. Wasn't shooting sub <laughs> subbies or anything like that. Um, you know, the, the gear we had was um, acceptable. I'll say that. Um, and for a long time, when the option came up for additional ammo, you know, guys were looking at doing load. development. And I tell people all the time now, like, don't waste any time doing load development, trying to get your already phenomenally performing subsonic 147 nine mil to feel a little softer, like just go shoot. You're, you're not getting any return there. So plus I, I knew that the guys that I would be training are not going to be using specialty equipment. Um, you know, for, for a fact is for several years, the team competed with rack grade guns with government grade ammo uh, at all of our matches. You know, I trained with a, M90 uh, Beretta M9 for a long time. I actually, I think I had a couple of state titles in Steel Challenge and something else with a Beretta. I was trying to follow Ernest Langdon's idea of making Grandmaster with a Beretta, you know, a stock Beretta. Uh, didn't didn't do it obviously, but uh, it was the the support that I had from the Marine Corps was enough where. Uh, it didn't matter if they supported me or not. I was going to do it, to be honest with you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, mentioning when, when you talk about like how you had to take leave to do that, um, you know, I won't go into that too much, but I nowadays on the team, we encourage people. Like if somebody's like, Hey, how can I do this? We encourage people like straight up going to MOL request PTAD. Don't take up your leave. Like there's a section in there that specifically is for competitive sporting event or compete yet yeah, something like that. And it's like, that is your, that is your way in. So you don't have to burn leave. And like, you know, I didn't know that at the time back in 2016, but it's like, Hey, I'm going up to blue Ridge three gun championship. You know, I see this whole competitive sporting event went, talk to my first sergeant at the time. And I was like, can I just do this instead of taking leave? He's like, yeah, dude, absolutely go for it. Like, I don't see it getting shot down. You're doing something that that's competition shooting related and it can give back to the Marine Corps. I was like, cool. But to make you take leave, that's that's crazy. Yeah, I mean, we, we were trying to work a couple different endorsements with uh, recruiting command to get some funding. Uh, we looked at kind of doing anything that we could. And uh, I'm not going to say I had anything to do with recruiting command shutting it down. Uh, but I didn't get any endorsements from recruiting command. I, I don't know that I'm the image that they want to portray to young guys. coming into the fleet. <laughs> uh, but no, I, I don't, I don't know. It's um, my, my, my career path and my time with teams was significantly different. And um, I knew that I was going to be um I'm not going to say a paver, but I knew that I had the ability to do stuff that other guys couldn't. Uh, for example, when I first checked in to the team, uh, you know, our team uniform was basically some Under Armour polos that we picked up at the exchange with a BGA on it and khaki, uh, the 5'11 khakis, you know, that was the, the high risk personnel instructor uniform of the day. 
And then I took that a step further and just started wearing shorts. And I had a few people say, hey, Sergeant Gill, what are you doing? It's like, so, sir, this prosthetic, you know, it gets too sweaty during the day. So for me to take it on and off easier, I have to wear shorts. And they sign off on it. And then next thing we know, like a couple of other guys on the team, like, well, how come we can't wear shorts too? <laughs> so it, it started snowballing. And, uh, you know, where with certain things like, I mean, what are they going to fire me? Like I, my, my contract was nined out. I, my retirement was indefinite. Uh, wasn't really worried about promotion at that point. I was kind of non-existent. So I could kind of get away with speaking my real truth and saying, oh, I don't think this is a good idea for this reason. Or um, having the ability to ask for something. Hey, sir, can we take the team all across country and let's go we're going to spend 10 days out in New Mexico and return to New Mexico, uh, working someone else's match. Marine Corps is like, that's insane. Sure. Go ahead. You know? So I was very fortunate to be able to do certain things, um, and kind of push some boundaries that, you know, kind of help things out. I got to say you are a paver. Uh, you definitely paved the way for the team being where it is today. And I know I appreciate everything you've done. Like I attribute you being one of the main focal points to me getting into competitive shooting. So, uh, you know, thanks. It's definitely helped in, and like you're one of those guys that's still talked about today on teams. Uh, So you've done a lot of positive uh, you've, you've had a positive influence on the generations since you have departed. I just want to, you, you remind me of something, James. Um, so you shoot tactical games. I remember on that uh, tactical games, like Facebook forum, there was one post where you were like, does anybody have an issue if I use a prosthetic that makes it easier for me to run long distances and then change that with something that's better for sprints? And like, people were like, no, just wear, just do your thing, man. And I think Jared, uh, Jared Halbert himself came in and he's like, Look, if anyone gives you grief about that, you tell me about it, and I'll set them straight. <laughs> yeah, pretty, uh, pretty awesome interaction. Um, I the same thing, Matt, that you said to James. I'd say to you, Jared. Um, you took you you you're the reason I knew that the competition arms program uh, existed, and I'd say as soon as I got to Lejeune, I, I started looking into it. I wanted to get out to a Micmic, and then uh, here I am today. Um, and it's a big part of my life. Um, I dry fire every day. I have to, <laughs> I, I come out of the basement, I'm sweating. And I just tell my wife it's, it's, it's LARPing. It's basically what I've been doing, but, um, yeah, man, I, I have a lot to thank uh, both of you for, for, for what you've done for the team. Um, but you specifically Jared for introducing me to a lot of this before we, uh, end this episode, we'll open it up to both of you. Anything else that you'd like to leave the listeners with James, start with you. Yeah, so the, the shooting aspect of, of what we do is is a lot of fun. Uh, a lot of people aren't, you know, they often overlook the mental aspect of it as far as how they mentally prepare for things or what their mindset is doing certain things. Um, and so every now and then it's it's nice to, to sit back and reflect on what we do. Um, you know, I, I still deal with some some days myself now that I'm retired where kind of like, what am I doing and doing this? training stuff and shooting full-time like maybe I should go get a real job but no um I I'm 
glad that you guys had me on. Um, it's nice to, to run into guys all the time, like Matt, you know, talking with you over the years, seeing the progress of the team is going and seeing that the, the vigor that the team is still running with is extremely, extremely pleasant for me. Um, Jared, I mean, uh, you know, talking with you, there's, like I said, there's a few people along my career that were able to come in and do things behind the scenes that I didn't have to deal with. Uh, you know, I didn't have to, you know, I did the training schedule, but I didn't do the budget. I didn't have to go to the CEO's briefs every day. Uh, and so to have guys that kept the program going and did stuff that I wasn't involved with, you know, I got to name a few people like Joe Cruz was there for a while doing a lot of the, the uh, administrative stuff for us. Uh, Aaron Farmer was a big help for, for a long period of time. But then the, the guys on the team that also put in work that were there, you know, John Browning's off at the AMU now doing awesome things. Uh, you know, you know, we got a guy that used to be on the team now is, uh, doing an internship with NASA, believe it or not. Um, so, you know, thank you guys for keeping that, the sport going, keeping the spirit of the team alive. Um, so thank, thank you guys. It's our pleasure. Thank you. Jared, last thoughts. <laughs> Um, yeah, like I said, you know, it, it's opportunity. So, you know, if, if, if the target audience is Marines getting involved in, in CF, you know, go to your commands, ask to go to, go to competitions, make, make the command and make the Marine Corps tell you no. Uh, if you don't ask, it's already no. Uh, so seek the opportunity and the training and skill set will, will arrive. I'm living proof. I, I sucked. I've dedicated 25 years and lots of shooting schools and lots of government ammo. To, to get significantly better. Uh, but that's because I, I constantly asked and, and James nailed it with, you know, the, the, the mental aspect, you know, training's only half the battle. You have to, you have to be mentally prepared uh, and mentally ready to compete uh, and know that you're doing your best every day. Um, and ultimately, you know, again, for the, for the Marines are listening, they just need to understand the approach always needs to be what makes me the best warfighter. Because until you're in James' position or Matt, Matt's position where you're retired and you can shoot for actual fun and giggles, why waste your time doing anything that's not making you a better warfighter? Uh, because that's, that's our primary mission right now. So whether your team's an, an instructor or you're a Marine who wants to get into shooting, make yourself better by doing it. Uh, don't just waste ammo. That was so beautifully said. <laughs> Yeah. Yep. That's why that's one of the reasons why I got into competitive shooting. Like what can I bring back to my Marines, my platoon to keep them alive whenever they go into combat and to kill the enemy. Yep. So thank you both for having, having me on. I, I really appreciate it. So we appreciate you both. This was really fun. It's kind of, it, it's kind of a rare experience to actually talk to people who have previously previously been on the team, especially, you know, with the construct of the action shooting team or back then the combat shooting team. So it was really, really interesting just to kind of look into the past like that. So thank you. We appreciate it. And to our listeners, uh, we really hope you like this. Um, for those who are in the Marine Corps, we hope you enjoyed this and we hope you got something out of this. Talk to your commands. 
tell them that you want to be a part of the CF and get involved. Thank you.